Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. I'll be reading Psalm 103, which is on page 605 of the Church Bibles. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeemed your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, The Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Well, as we stand, let's pray together. Uh, We have indeed, Father, just prayed uh, that you speak still and that your word is clear. So indeed we pray that we would hear, that we would be responsive tonight, and that we would do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please do sit down as you're sitting down, if you could be turning back in your Bibles to Psalm 103, that's page 605. And uh, there was a little handout um, in the pieces of paper you're given on the way in that you can use to follow along or make notes if that's something you'd like to do. It can strike at any time. For one person, perhaps it strikes in the anxious, sleepless moments of the middle of the night. For another, perhaps it strikes after a moment of madness on the internet. For another, it hits home after a fierce but remarkably stupid argument where things have been said that shouldn't have been said. And it's this. It's the thoughts Uh, There is no way that God can love me. How can God ever love me now? 
Or sometimes after some serious crisis in a church family, there's a, perhaps there's a division or there's an adultery or there's some failure of discipline. This might be corporate rather than individual. We might be saying to ourselves, there's no way that God can love us. How can he love us now? And unless we're very good at repressing such thoughts or very good at distracting ourselves, and some of us are quite good at those things, Such thoughts should strike us quite often in our Christian experience. And I guess to an extent that's a good thing. Uh, It shows at least that our consciences aren't completely dead. But unless such thoughts are dealt with and dealt with decisively, they will do many bad things. They will do much damage. They'll sap our passion for evangelism. They'll weaken us in in our battle against sinful behavior. And they'll dangerously erode our hope and perseverance. Well, if you've ever thought like that, if those those words have ever come into your mind, there's no way that God can love me, then Psalm 103 is a psalm for you. This psalm should give you precisely the words you need to speak to yourself in that moment of despair. In fact, if you've ever thought like that, uh, then the whole of this little series in the Psalms that we're, uh, that we're starting tonight, and it's running over the next few weeks, Psalms 103 through to 106, the whole series should speak to you. You see, these Psalms are placed here to deal with just such despairing thoughts. I don't know if you ever knew this, but the Psalms are divided into sections, they're divided into books, there are five of them, in fact. And Psalms 103 to 106 are placed right at the very end of book four of the Psalms. And they're linked together. Uh, They they, they all begin and end with a cry, praise the Lord. You can see that here in Psalm 103. And the other Psalms in the collection are just the same. And that in itself is quite striking. You know, the people have been calling one another to praise the Lord. But if we go back to the previous book, the previous section of the Psalms, Well, at that point in the book, the people were about as far away from praising the Lord as you could possibly imagine. Uh, In those Psalms, Psalms 88 and 89, the people were in deep despair. Despair because they've been thrust into exile because of their their wickedness as a people. Uh, They're feeling abandoned. Uh, They're questioning whether the Lord has forgotten all his promises and forgotten about them. And because they're in exile, they're people who every day would wake up and right before them, confronting them in their face as they looked out on a foreign land, would be this reminder of God's anger at their sin. So that's book three. But a remarkable thing happens at the beginning of book four of the Psalms. You see, what the people start doing is remembering They remember how the Lord engaged with Moses and the people rebelling in the wilderness many years before. They remember how the Lord engaged with David. And that's especially true here in Psalm 103, which as you can see is a psalm of David. David, remember, the adulterer and the murderer. And this act of remembering together rekindles their hope. Because as they remember the love and mercy of the Lord to God's people in the past, well, they can think to themselves this. They can think, well, he's the same God. He hasn't changed. 
If he loved them, perhaps he could still love us. So if you come tonight in a a similar state of despair, then this should help. This psalm should really speak to your situation. On the other hand, if you haven't, and if you're not aware of such despair or have never felt such despair, uh, then uh, do let me warn you, Psalm 103 might not be of any help to you at all. Uh, Let me put it like this. Psalm 103 is not a sugar-glazed Donut. Uh, That's obvious in one way, but let me explain myself. I wonder if you're aware of the seductive power of the sugar-glazed donut. According to Krispy Kreme, uh, these are the donut experts, you'll know. The sugar-glazed donut is the most popular donut. You give people a tray of donuts to choose from, and they will go for the sugar-glazed donut most of the time. And that's because the simple sugar glazed donut has the perfect combination of 50% sugar and 50% fat that we find addictively attractive. And those donuts do, uh, for a moment at least, taste delicious. And for a moment we feel great, we think, yum, this is good. Most of us also realise that if we were to try to survive on a diet of sugar coated donuts, Uh, then very quickly the good feeling would give way to all sorts of things, to lethargy, and I dare say in the long run, ill health. And we could do something similar, I guess, when we meet together like this. Uh, We could turn to preaching that just says, God loves you, and leaves it at that. It says nothing more. That is an an attractive option. That is, if you like, the sugar-glazed donut option. Or we could turn to Psalm 103. And in Psalm 103, we'll get that, we will get that, but we'll get something more. In fact, we'll get much more. You see, what we get in Psalm 103 is that love, that steadfast love, properly explained. And it's going to be harder work. It is going to be more difficult. We're going to have to face up to certain things we would rather not face up to, perhaps, But it will be sustaining. It will last. It will change things. You see, as I put on the handout, this is a psalm for people in despair. It's not really for other people. It's for people in despair. And it's for such people to come to remember deeply and then declare loudly, just as David did, the steadfast love and forgiveness of the Lord. I hope you're excited then about tucking into this psalm and uh, working through it step by step. Five healthy, nutritious, but also deeply satisfying courses laid out for us in these verses. A great feast for the soul, I think we'll find. And in fact, really all the key ingredients are there in the starting verses. The first six verses, as David implores both himself and us to remember deeply the steadfast love and forgiveness of the Lord, his love to a sinner, his love even to a person like David. Now look with me at how the psalm begins. From verse one, praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. 
the word praise here means to declare something great about God. We'll find out much more what that is as we go through. But notice, first of all, that this is a command. Praise the Lord. We might ask, who is it a command from and who is it a command to? That's quite interesting, isn't it? There's actually a command from David to himself, to his soul, to his inmost being. And what will that praising achieve? Well, it's there in verse 2. It will achieve not forgetting. The purpose of this praising is remembering. And uh, you can see the particular things David wants to remember here. Verse 2. He wants to remember the benefits of knowing the Lord. You see, the Lord has taken him from the darkness, from under the shadow of death. From verse 3, from being consumed by sin and disease. Uh, Verse 4, from the pit, uh, that is the the grave. Uh, Verse 6, from being oppressed by all of this. is The Lord has taken him from that place. And the Lord has forgiven him and healed him and redeemed him. And crowned him with steadfast love and compassion. And has lavished that love on him. Giving him more and more satisfying and good things. Restoring him to a place and a position which is good and right and just. That is what David wants to remember. And he wants you to remember it too. If you're a Christian here tonight. But what he doesn't want is a shallow remembrance, a superficial remembrance. Uh, For example, you might uh, hear me say tonight, uh, remember the steadfast love of the Lord to the sinner, which is basically all I'm going to say tonight. Uh, You might hear me say that and say in reply, well, thank you for reminding me of that, but I, I kind of knew it. I kind of knew all of that. But actually, interestingly, the moment you get out through the door, effectively it's forgotten. It has no enduring effect on you. Uh, Or suppose you do something that for a moment reminds you of the depth of your sinfulness. Uh, We all have these experiences. Something terrible happens. You do something you deeply regret. And in that moment you're, you're, you're very ashamed. I mean genuinely ashamed. And we've all done it. We might even say, we might even say, Lord, I will never, never do that again but 48 hours later it's gone it's effectively forgotten and we do that thing all over again so what is the difference between a shallow remembrance that, that effectively makes us forget things and a deep remembrance well think about this imagine a little girl playing in, in the waves uh, on a beach. And her mother shouts to her, don't forget you can't swim. You know, she's obviously quite anxious. She wants her child to remember that she can't swim. The little girl replies, of course I know I, don't, I can't swim. But moments later, she's perhaps knocked over by a wave and a, a rip current carries her rapidly out to sea. Now she cries out, I can't swim. It's interesting, isn't it? Twice she has remembered that she can't swim. And uh, each time, in fact, she's used the same words to articulate that. You know, I can't swim. But the second time as she's swept out, it's urgent. 
It's vivid. She's fully engaged. It's deep in her soul, we might say, in her inmost being. She's remembering deeply. And if she gets rescued, and we'll we'll assume she does, she'll remember that deeply too. So that's what David's aiming for here. He's aiming for a deep remembrance, one that's urgent, one that's vivid, one that's fully engaged. That's what he's encouraging us to find too. How does it work? Well, look again at verse one with me. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. In other words, David is preaching to himself. He doesn't want to forget, so he preaches to himself. But then, of course, after doing that, he's published his sermon for others and he's encouraging his people to preach this to themselves too. And this, this sermon is in the book of Psalms and so God's people, uh, for example, in exile, preach it to themselves. And now it's in the Bible for God's people through all generations, encouraging us to preach it to ourselves as well. And tonight it's on the preaching program here at Christchurch Forward. But it's not enough for me simply to preach it to you. If this is going to work, you can't just sit there and listen passively to this. You have to preach it too. Preach it to your soul, to your psyche. Preach it to your inmost being, literally to your guts, so that the truth of your sinfulness and the truth of God's steadfast love penetrates deep into who you are. So let's begin it now, okay? We've all got to work now. We're all preaching now, right? Preach it. Preach it to yourself. Echo these words with me in your minds. Preach, I am not normally or naturally okay. Preach, I've come from a desperate and hopeless place, rebelling against the one who gives life. Preach it, I have been oppressed and helpless under the shadow of death. Preach, I'm only okay because of the compassion and steadfast love of the Lord. Only because of that. Because that is very much the repeated note in this sermon. The steadfast love of the Lord. It's translated in our version simply as love throughout the psalm. But steadfast love is, is better. really gets to the heart of what's going on here. And what we're going to find in the the rest of this feast for the soul is course after course of food and fuel for your preaching, your preaching on the steadfast love of the Lord, the love that he has for you as a sinner. And what we're going to see is the steadfast love of the Lord to sinners in the past, the scope of his steadfast love to sinners right now in our present experience, And his steadfast love stretching on, unending into the future. So the next course in the feast. Remember his steadfast love in the past. This verse is 7 through to 10. Uh, From verse 7, David reminds us of this. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, Abounding in steadfast love. Those words in verse 8 
uh, are words taken straight out of uh, Exodus chapter 34, as you, uh, you may know. But that's an important thing to note. It's important because the Lord said those words to Moses not long after uh, the incident has become known as the incident as, of the golden calf. I suppose the, the golden calf incident was arguably the lowest single moment for the people of God in their history. I wonder if we were to look back in our history as a nation, I wonder what we would choose as our, our lowest moment. There's plenty of options to choose from. Would you choose the slave trade, the opium trade, several indefensible massacres that we've been involved in? But the low point for Israel was the golden calf. You see, what happened was that very soon after experiencing their miraculous rescue by the Lord from Egypt, seeing amazing things, there was this moment of crisis. There was a moment of impetuous and impatient stupidity. And the people turned to idolatry and sexual immorality. And they made for themselves this golden calf to worship in the place of the Lord. And it's very, very clear as we're reading those chapters in the book of Exodus that there's no way that they deserve to remain God's people. In fact, for a moment, it, it looks like they're not going to be. But as verse 10 suggests, the Lord did not treat them as their sins deserved and did not repay them for their iniquities. Why? Well, because the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That incident, the golden calf incident, gets removed a number of times in book four of the Psalms. And here we've got David remembering it. And uh, I hope you can work out why he's doing that. Remember, David is a cheat. He's an adulterer. He's a liar and even a murderer. He knows and has openly confessed that he deserves to die, in fact, for what he's done. Uh, So did God's people in the past, the time of Moses. And the Lord hasn't changed That's what David is remembering. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So think of God's people hundreds of years later than this. They've been cast into exile. The nation has been destroyed. They've been cast into exile. They're in exile because the nation once again turned to other gods, faithlessly abandoned their lords. In some ways, those in in exile are the the lucky ones. They escape the, the destruction but still it doesn't look good for them. They know full well, they're seeing every day, every single day that they don't deserve to have a future as God's people. But as they read Psalm 103, they are remembering David, remembering Moses. And the Lord hasn't changed. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So I hope you can see where this is going as you, as you consider preaching this to yourself. All right, let's think about our lowest moments. And uh, if you're honest with yourself as you're thinking about that, it should be a, a long and sorry list. I know that mine is. With that list in mind, we know that there is no way that we deserve the love of the Lord's. That's why those thoughts come into our minds. There's no way that the Lord can love me now. 
But this is the point. I can pretty much guarantee that nothing on your list or my list is as bad as what the people did with the golden calf or is as bad as what David did or is as bad as what the people did before they were sent into exile. So preach it to yourself. Let's preach it to ourselves. The Lord hasn't changed. The Lord is still compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. So what has happened to those sins, those transgressions? Well, it's time to feast some more and to remember the scale of the Lord's steadfast love in the present. This is verses 11 to 14. Let me read from verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I hope it's fairly plain. The steadfast love of the Lord is very great, greater than we can possibly imagine for those who fear him. If my wife, Catherine, were to ask me, how much do you love me? I might say, this much, or this much, or to the moon and back. And uh, she might say, enough to put the bins out? (laughs) And I'll have to say, oh, all right then. But look at the steadfast love of the Lord, the size of the steadfast love of the Lord. Not just to the moon and back, but as high as the heavens are above the earth. It sounds good, doesn't it? What does it actually mean? Are those just fine words? What does it actually mean? Now, this is love that's put into action. It's put into action, removing our transgressions. A deeply costly action, as we'll come back to at the end. And again, we might ask, how far? Well, how far is the east from the west? Uh, So if you set off from uh, Sheffield tonight, travelling east at latitude uh, 53 degrees north, Uh, I'm testing your geography now, okay, okay, what what, what would you go through, which countries? Through the North Sea, the Netherlands, Germany, Poland, Belarus, Russia, Kazakhstan, China, the Pacific, Canada, the Atlantic, how far would you have to go? How far would you have to go until you'd got the furthest the east is from the west? Well, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. I think I often find myself thinking of God, uh, I don't know, something like a slightly old-fashioned head teacher. You know, someone who's so anxious to maintain order that he's immovably stern, never giving an inch. You might have the same problem, especially in your moments of, of sin or struggle. So I need to preach this to myself. You need to preach this to yourselves too. Now, I'm not suggesting anything like a, a kind of casual, flippant attitude towards God. You can see that, that 
very strongly here in verses 11 to 13 that the, the steadfast love of the Lord is for those who fear him, those who respect him. But I am suggesting that we can nonetheless delight in his fatherly love. He doesn't, as it happens, forgive us like a head teacher, sort of reluctantly granting a small concession, perhaps putting us on probation or something like that. No, his compassion, verse 13, is the compassion of a father for his children. It's generous, it's wildly generous, it's extravagant, it's wildly extravagant. We were thinking about just this in our service this morning. It's a wonderful thing to dwell on. And we do struggle to believe it, don't we? We struggle to believe it. In particular, I think we probably struggle to believe that it can last. It's the other thing we wonder about. Well, the final course in the psalm goes like this. Verses 15 to 18. Remember that his steadfast love lasts forever. That makes it pretty unusual, of course. Not many things last Consumer electronics last for virtually no time at all. Damage them slightly. More often than not, they have to be thrown away. Nothing much lasts. We see it most keenly in our own bodies. That's what David is reminding himself of here. That left to its natural devices, the human body will be like any other living thing in the world. Verse 15, it will flourish for a while like a flower of the fields, but then, like everything else, the wind of death blows over it and it is gone to be remembered no more. But David is also preaching to himself this. He's preaching to himself that there's another place. There's another future. There's a different outcome. It's a place where people are drawn into a secure family. God's own family. Bonded together by his covenant love. It's a place where God's children respect him deeply, eager to listen and to respond. And in this place, verse 17, the steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting. And the everlasting steadfast love of the Lord overcomes death and destruction and decay. It's a place of absolute security in his love. Preach it. Preach it to yourself. Don't listen to the lie that the love of the Lord will fade away, that we somehow need to sort of recharge it from time to time or replace it or earn it. It is everlasting. Preach it to yourself. From everlasting to everlasting is the Lord's love for those who fear him. Now, if you do preach all these things to yourself from the psalm, I want you to see from the very final few verses of the Psalms, one of the remarkable effects it will start to have. Actually, if you glance back to verse one, turn back to verse one briefly to where we began. And you can see that the Psalm begins like this. It begins, praise the Lord, O my soul. So we've been seeing uh, throughout tonight, uh, David is preaching to himself. But turn over the page and look at how the Psalm ends. This is preaching which draws in then the whole creation to praise the Lord. Verse 20, praise the Lord, you his angels. You see, the sermon begins with an audience of just one. 
but it ends with an audience of myriads of myriads of beings. It ends with a heavenly audience. It shakes the heavens. It begins small, like blowing on the embers of a fire, but it ends huge, great, earth-shattering. It encompasses everything under the heavens. Verse 22, praise the Lord, all you his works, everywhere in his dominion. Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? That the secret to having an evangelistic passion and zeal is not first and foremost to begin by preaching it to others. It's an interesting thing to think about in this passion for life year and these events that we've got coming up. Actually, the thing we've got to start with, the place David starts with, is preaching to ourselves. You see, we do that we do that rightly. We won't even be able to help ourselves preaching to others. It is like breathing on the embers of a fire. We don't even need to be naturally great preachers, thankfully, because God has graciously provided the text for us. Here it is, Psalm 103. We can add that, I think, to the other great benefits from preaching this psalm to ourselves. Not only will it fan into flame an evangelistic zeal, it will do all sorts of other things too. It'll start to deal with sinful patterns of behavior, those patterns of behavior that come from forgetting about the Lord. And it will certainly protect us and defend us in the moment of despair. So I just want to implore you as we finish tonight, keep preaching Psalm 103 to yourself both tonight and on into the future. Tonight, because we're just about to take the Lord's Supper together. If you keep preaching this to yourself as we eat and drink together, it will reinforce and clarify certain things. It will also protect you from the kind of shallow remembrance that can spoil our experience of this meal. Remember, we're seeking a a deep remembrance. So tonight as you if you come up and you taste the bread in your mouth and you taste the wine on your lips, remember, remember and understand verse 10 that God does not treat you as your sins deserve because one who didn't deserve his anger took it in your place. Jesus' broken body and spilled blood prove it decisively. And there it is, the remembrance in the meal. Remember and understand verse 12, the Lord has removed our transgressions as far as the east is from the west because he's nailed that list of transgressions to the cross. He's cancelled them. He's crossed them out with the blood of Jesus. That's why they're no longer there. Remember and understand verse 17, the Lord has drawn you into a secure and permanent family, secured by his covenant promises, guaranteed by the death of Jesus. And remember that as you eat this meal, you're enjoying now a family meal together with your brothers and sisters. But let me suggest too that let's not limit the preaching of Psalm 103 to ourselves to tonight. Uh, What I'm going to do over the next week, in fact, is to preach Psalm 103 to myself. And I'm going to do it every morning. And I'd like to invite you to join me. I mean, you don't have to come to my house, but you can sort of do it wherever you are. If you're not yet in the habit of preaching to yourself from the Bible every day, this would be a really, really excellent way to start that, to jump start that. And I think you'd begin to feel the benefits of that very, very quickly indeed. 
Those thoughts will come to us from time to time that I began with. Those thoughts that we don't deserve to be loved. They will come. The thought, I don't deserve to be loved, will come to you. It will come to me time and time again. Unless you're especially good at repressing it or distracting yourself. But if you're a Christian here tonight, those thoughts will come. But now we are aware of a perfectly, perfectly crafted response. We have Psalm 103. It's true, we don't deserve to be loved. We really don't. But he loves us anyway. It's true, I don't deserve to be loved. You don't deserve to be loved. But he loves us anyway. Let me read from verse 21. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. So please join me as the music begins and we can say together, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord.